abolition, abolition today. In any case, as far as the national efforts are concerned, at this point, we have abolished slavery in four states now. Uh, we have two states that are already on the ballot to be voted on in November of 2022. That's Oregon and Tennessee. Uh, we also have an additional nine states, like yourself, that has legislation that could put them on that same ballot in 2022. They're going through committees now, like California, uh, for, for example. And then in addition to that, we have grassroots organizations working with legislators across an additional 20 states to get their legislation in two sessions so that we can have all of the states involved, like Texas is on for 2023 and Louisiana is on for 2023. Our goal is to see this thing annihilated on paper, to end slavery in the United States for the first time, which will open up doors of possibilities that have never existed before because we never ended slavery. And every time we challenge these slave-like conditions, whether it be labor or warehousing bodies or Eighth Amendment constitutional violations, Whenever we challenge them, we are hit by a brick wall called the 13th Amendment. The court and the judges will say, well, it says you can do that right here. Not only does it say it in the federal, it says it in your state. And we want to see a world where that is not there. What would happen if we don't have that brick wall? We've never had the opportunity to find out. And so now we see the light at the end of the tunnel with so many states involved. This is not something that might happen. Uh, this is not something we wish is going to happen. This is something that is happening right now, in real time. One of the most epic uh, collection of states working together to achieve a single goal in the history of the United States. And it's very much under the radar of mass media. But we hope, uh, with the participation of media that you have here today, that the word will get out that this is something that is happening. If you've seen 13, that told you what the problem is. We are the answer. We are the solution, and we're dealing with it right now. We are dealing with it right now, and I, I think the, um, you know, what, what I'm gratified about is, is that there is a, there's a peeling back, if you will. There's a, there's a, there's a crack opening up. There's a light that's coming on that, you know, I, I said, um, I was listening to, um, um, I was listening to an artist. Uh, the Reverend Sakur, I think his name is, and he said, he said, what a time to be alive. Uh, what a time to be alive. And, and then he said, the revolution has come. I said, wow. And, and I, I think about where we are and where we're living right now in this time of all times that we could have lived, um, of any place we could have been, um, that, you know, that we would be um, entrusted with this um this awesome opportunity uh, to to take the United States of America to a place where it's never been before, uh, where we are actually a nation um, without slaves, without slaves, without slaves.
Abolition Today. You just heard Max Parsons and Mark Hughes of the Abolished Slavery Vermont, or Max Parsons of the Abolished Slavery National Network and co-host of Abolition Today, along with Mark Hughes of the Abolished Slavery Vermont. And that had the instrumental for the people by Kanye West. Uh, and that was followed up by the song by Gil Scott Heron and Brian Jackson, A Toast to the People. Peace and welcome to Abolition Today a weekly syndicated online radio program with a specific focus on modern slavery as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the United States Constitution and by for-profit prisons worldwide. We air live every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central, and uh, 4 Pacific. Live streams and archive podcasts are available at abolitiontoday.org and on all major podcast platforms. We're also streaming live in the Clubhouse app and with simulcast on the Black Talk Radio Network. My name is Yusuf Hassan. I'm broadcasting live from the Richard Kemp Center in Burlington, Vermont. Uh, Unfortunately, I don't have my brother Max here with me, but he's still here on the line with us. Peace, Max. Peace, Brother Yusuf. I'm here at the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center where I was not supposed to be. An act of God prevented us from being there today uh, through the storms that rolled through and shut down a lot of the flights, so we were unable to make it. But we're here in this way with you. And the show must go on. You know, also, uh, our brother Curtis Davis wasn't able to make it up here from that, uh, from Shreveport, Louisiana, of the car. For the same reasons, yes. Yeah, you know, of the carcerate Louisiana, same reason. Canceled flights. But here we are, broadcasting live from the birthplace of the slavery exception clause. So we're here to the granddaddy of all exception clauses, Vermont. For Juneteenth event And we'll also have a lot of spoken word We're going to have this live panel here We're joined by the Vermont Racial Justice Alliance Members of the Vermont Racial Justice Alliance As well as Abolish Slavery Vermont uh, Had a great day today We're going to talk about it a lot The things that went down today uh, We had a panel discussion today uh, in Vermont Felt a little weird being on the panel without you, Max. <laughs> I have to admit that. It was a little weird, you know, but we made it happen. It was myself and Mark along with uh, Debbie Ingram. Uh, Yay, Debbie. I forget the name of her organization. Vermont Interface Action. So that was really great. Uh, but you also got into some things this week, Max. Uh, what did What did you do this week? What the, were you talking to me just then? Uh, Yusuf? I was just passing it to you just to see how your week was, and I know you also had some oh, events man. that were going on. Uh, the week has been crazy. Uh, you know, this is the first time since I've become a slavery abolitionist that I didn't feel like we were taking two steps backwards on Juneteenth as people promoted a false narrative of an emancipation that Frederick Douglass himself denounced in 1888. Uh, so I always felt like we took a step backwards. 
And even now, would it be a federally recognized holiday? I expected that to happen again, but that's not the case at all. Um, we are doing so much and have grown so much. Just the opening track that you just heard was me and Mark back in February. And they were talking about, we were saying then, it was two states on the ballot. There's six on the ballot right now. Just since February, we got four more states on the ballot. We tripled our number that we had at that point. And we said uh, states like Louisiana, the prison capital of the world, was going to be in 2023. Well, guess what? Louisiana is one of those states on for 2022. They have passed every committee and are now on the ballot for 2022 for the people in Louisiana to vote out slavery. So it's just beautiful to see these things grow. We've seen reports come out from the ACAU, ACLU National, a 154-page report that goes into great detail connecting the 13th Amendment to convict leasing and mass incarceration. It names names. It has the testimonies of uh, inmates who are in these prisons. Uh, it breaks down everything. It's amazing. If you haven't seen it yet, it is a must-see. You've got to go see the ACLU report called Captive Labor. And then just two days after that, on the 17th, the NAACP Legal Defense Fund put out their report, very much in line with everything that was said by the ACLU and what we've been saying now forever. So that was a huge. Um, on top of that, tomorrow, this is one of the reasons why we felt like God's hand was on what happened with the airplane flights. Uh, Curtis Davis is in uh, Louisiana right now in Baton Rouge, where tomorrow they will have the annual civil rights conference, the annual civil rights conference. And during that conference, they're going to preview the uh, trail. They're going to show the trailer for Slave State 2022, which is the documentary that's coming out with us about slavery abolition in Louisiana and how we have come to this point now where people can vote it out. It's an amazing documentary. So he's going to be there live. Uh, uh, they you know, wanted him to come down, and he, there he is. So that's kind of a silver lining for him. Um, in addition yeah. to that, there's just so, so many. Right? You, say again? I said, as the saying goes, look at God. Right, exactly. Look at God. Then if you remember, our former guest, Manisha Singh, right? Uh, Professor Manisha Singh, historian specifically on slavery. Uh, she has been involved in things like the film Lincoln as a consultant or the primary consultant in regards to slavery abolition. She just won the Pennington Award, and she made sure she uh, brought up the exception clause of the 13th Amendment. So even some of the most prominent uh, academics in the country right now are behind what we're doing and saying so out loud. It's just amazing to see. And then to top it all off, of course, uh, there's people out like you right now and those who are with you, Brother Yusuf, uh, Mark, Maya, and Karen, you're out there all across the country having slavery abolitionist events on Juneteenth, 2022. That is my book. Yusuf? And I'm glad you mentioned all of our guests and, you know, each want to get a chance to speak in a few minutes to give their full sort of like bio, any bio that they want to have. And we're also joined by Christine, Mark Hughes' wife as well. So we have... Hi, Matt. So uh, I guess we can start with uh, 
Normally I would start with the ladies. I'll start with Mark only because he was in the opening track. So, Mark, the opening track, any comments? Uh, just going back to that day when you gave that testimony. Oh, man, I remember that. Um, I think um, I actually was out of the room for a minute, but I remember uh, the testimony. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, First, before you get into it, because our program is also archival, yeah. so, you know, tell tell the people who you are. I'm, I am the executive director of uh, Vermont Racial Justice Alliance. I'm the Reverend Mark Hughes. So I'm I'm uh, here in Vermont, and I, I greeted um, <laughs> I greeted Yusef here uh, upon his arrival. So this is kind of where we live. This is where we operate here in the state of Vermont. I'm also the um, director of Justice for All. So um, lots of stuff happening here, and I'm just reminded of the conversations that Max and I have been having and the friendship we've been cultivating over this last year and um, just talking about the work that that needed to be done. And and I'm just – I was so excited when uh, we had the opportunity to collaborate on the testimony. Uh, And, um, I mean, all of you guys were here. I'm looking at Corinne and and Maya and and Christine, my wife. Um, I think there was just so much excitement that built up to that. And then, of course, you know, seeing how these states are, like, falling like flies, like one at a time, you know, um, we, we're, there's talk of, you know, California, you know, Louisiana, bam, you know, we're, we're talking about Ohio and Tennessee, and so there's a lot of stuff going on, but we even put states on the on the ballot since then, you said, put states on the ballot since then, and, um, yeah, just I'm looking forward to, you know, just breaking down, you know, what's going on here in, in uh, Ver- uh, Vermont to the listeners uh, tonight and just having that conversation too. So, yeah, this is a um, a timely conversation. It is a, you know, the, the location is apropos, uh, and we couldn't be in a better, uh, you know, place, you know, than, than right now and right here. So this, this is a big deal. Amen, brother. And, you know, Vermont was directly involved in the other states' efforts just as they were involved in yours. It literally was and is a national movement where we're working together all across these boundaries, south, north, east, and west, to make this happen. Yes, absolutely. So next I'd like to bring on Maya. And Maya, uh, tell the audience a little bit about yourself, and then we'll shoot you a question or two. Okay. Hi, everyone. Good evening. My name is Maya Longmore. I'm the Outreach and Education Director for the Vermont Racial Justice Alliance, and I'm honored to be here with you all tonight. One thing that I noted for um, for today when we were tabling at the Battery, um, at the Battery Park was just how many people in Vermont didn't uh, didn't know anything about um, PR2 and, and everything like that. So um, our main goal is to educate people and get the word out, and, and that's what we did. So I feel I feel good about um, what we've done today, and, and I feel confident in, in the um, outcome of the November ballot. So we brought up PR2. Mm-hmm. Just uh, give a little bit of background of what PR2 uh and any information that you want to give related to that. Okay, yeah. So um, top two is a proposal to change the language in the Vermont Constitution. 
there's um, an exception clause in the Vermont Constitution, uh, Constitution that prohibits slavery. And a lot of people don't know that there are um, exception clauses. Um, so one of the exception clauses is that um, – the three exception clauses. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking, yeah, there, there is, um, I'm sorry. yeah, the age, yeah. I'm thinking about the, um, oh, I want blank. It's sorry. okay. I'm going to pull it up for you and help you out. Yeah. So you have age, bound by law for payment of debt, damages, fines, costs, or the like. Mm -hmm. So there's four prongs. So after so, here, let's just read it. So, apparently, the Vermont Constitution says that all men are born equally free and independent and have certain natural, inherent, and unalienable rights, among which are the enjoying and defending life and liberty, acquiring, possessing, and protecting property, and pursuing and obtaining happiness and safety. Therefore, no person born in this country or brought from overseas ought to be holding by law to serve any person as a servant, slave, or apprentice after he arrives at the age of 21 years unless he is bound by his own consent after he arrives to such age or bound by law for the payment of debt, damages, fines, costs, or the like. And that's Chapter 1, Article 1. That's it right there. Very long Can somebody tell me what the hell the like is? Like, what does that even mean, the like? <laughs> like okay, the like. You, said, you all figured out what the like is? You know, the like is the last word in that whole article. Um, and it's kind of hard to get there. You know, it's kind of hard to get to the end of that article because by the time you get there, you've already stumbled across, you know, three exception clauses. And you're already writing the the amendment by the time we started trying to figure out what the like means. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's kind of a hot mess, though, if you think about it, that, that whole that whole business. And just, you know, for, for the whole, um, the, custom, the constitutional amendment itself, instead of um, therefore, basically what it says is the constitutional amendment itself, what it says is that slavery and indentured servitude in any form are prohibited. No, <laughs> so, Corinne, right. you're next on the mic. Right. <laughs> you know, I'm a titty tiny person, but I guess it's like all of us here who feel like we're starting yeah, something. Who you are and yeah. How you became part of this this uh, movement? Right. Um, I'm no one fancy. I know that <laughs> I don't have a position as Maya does, but I'm just um, a member member of a community, and this is a community movement, so we rock on. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And so how did you become aware of the exception clause, and what made you feel as though you needed to do something about it, get involved and do something about it? Oh, um, great question. I like my black people equal, and our <laughs> constitution are not equal, so I just follow that path of where we can be equal. That's all. And I met Mark. I knew him for justice for all black, black people. And, and I knew Christine from South Burlington High School when you were a football mom. Remember that, Dave? <laughs> <laughs> so my brother used to play with her. Anyways, um, 
and yeah, so I just I knew members of the community and I saw what they were doing, what they were up to, and I just joined along. <laughs> awesome. And the last person to bring in is the queen. Right. Seeing you, the wife of Mark. So yes. you keep him in check. You keep him in line. So Thank you, Yusef. I'm really glad to be here. And part of my keeping Mark in check is that we're heading out for a vacation starting tomorrow. So that's a good thing. Keep us in your <laughs> prayers for our travels. So, I, I mean, I'm, you know, I've been in Vermont since I was about eight years old. My father, who just had a memorial for yesterday, was an activist and was in a lot of ways a lot of, ahead of his time, you know, trying to, like, register people to vote that had just come out of prison. He helped establish the Community Justice Center where I worked for 12 years helping people that were coming out um, find employment. So, And I've just been involved in stuff, you know, since I was a kid just because, you know, I was taught to do something when you see something, right? Like, Right. <laughs> They're doing too much, right? But but what I'm really excited about right now is being part of making history. Um, I'm really excited about all the connections that we're making and and being part of a group of people that know something that might even be bigger than what we have even been able to wrap our heads around right now. You know, we're going to see this whole thing unfold, you know. Um, and I just think that it's such a huge opportunity to be part of making history, to see how it's going to play out, and also the opportunity to educate people. Because like Max says so often, it's like 20% of the people, and like Maya was saying, there's so many people that don't know. First of all, I think some people don't even understand what the Constitution is, any Constitution, state or federal, and how it impacts everything in our society. It really does. Everything kind of traces back to that. So to be able to educate people and open their eyes to this kind of thing and, and get them ready and get them positioned to, like, see it unfold and, and the way, you know, this connection with the interface action and all of the people that are, you know, kind of coming on board and, and helping to make this work happen is just such an incredible opportunity, you know. What a time to be alive. What a time to be alive. Exactly what Mark said in the opening track, right? What a time to be alive. Uh, And for those that are tuned in, if this is your first time hearing about what's happening, uh, think about it. I mean, what would you have done if you were alive during the chattel slavery period? Well, you have that chance to do it right now uh, because we are ending this very same system. You know, we talked about some of the highlights that have been coming out over the past few days, like the ACLU's report. I want to read to you the key recommendations from the ACLU nationwide. After all that they researched, here's the conclusions they came to that we should do. Number one, nationwide, repeal federal and state constitution exception clauses allowing slavery and involuntary servitude to be used as a punishment for a criminal conviction. Number two, number one is where exactly where it's supposed to be. You can't do nothing else without that. As long as slavery is legal, they can keep getting away with it. Number two, ensure that all work in prison is fully voluntary by eliminating any laws and policies that require forced labor 
or impose adverse consequences on incarcerated workers who are unable or unwilling to work. And number three, prison authorities should ensure incarcerated workers who seek exemptions from work duties are granted such exemptions when they are unable to carry out their assigned jobs due to illness, injury, disability, or other physical or mental limitations. And they had to say that because they make you work through that. And they put you in these terrible conditions where you lose arms and legs working on lace in factories inside prisons. Uh, so those are necessary. Absolutely. Yusuf? You know, uh, when I was going through the report, you know, one, I just loved how they were just naming names on everything. No holds barred. They would, you know, they they called out names from all over all over the country, from every from every state basically. They 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 sent out information to all fifty states. They got information back from forty. Vermont did not respond to any uh, freedom of information requests. So you all here, you know, check with your your uh, representatives to find out why they didn't have, why they didn't respond to that. What are they trying to hide? Uh, I wanted to pull up the human rights violations that they were talking about within this, because that was another thing that they brought in. You know, of course, they went to the first one that we reference a lot, the uh, Universal Declaration of Human Rights, the UN. Uh, Universal Declaration of Human Rights, and, you know, they mentioned of how the prison systems in America are in violation of that, and then they laid out other declarations that they're in violation of. So they mentioned the International Labor Organization called the ILO, Forced Labor Convention that was established in 1930, and it says number 29, requires parties to suppress the use of force or compulsory labor and defines force or compulsory labor as all work or service which is exacted from any person, from any person, under the menace of any penalty and for which the said person is not offered himself voluntarily. Then they mention from the same ILO Abolition of Forced Labor Convention, this is in 1957, number 105, and it says it requires all ratifying countries to immediately and completely abolish any form of forced or compulsory labor, A, as a means of political coercion or education, or as a punishment for holding or expressing political views or views ideologically opposed to the established political, social, or economic system. And they continue down that path when it deals with uh, political policies. Then they have the ILO's Committee of Experts on the Application of Conventions and Recommendations explicitly stating this covers prison labor as well as other forms of forced labor involving discrimination. Under the treaty, sex force or compulsory labor must be abolished even if the person concerned was convicted in a court of law and even where the offense giving rise to the punishment is a common offense which does not otherwise come under the protection of Article 1 of the Convention. Then they mentioned the last one, the UN 
Basic Principles for the Treatment of Prisoners, adopted by the UN General Assembly in 1990, that sets forth that conditions shall be created enabling prisoners to undertake meaningful remunerated employment, which will facilitate their reintegration into the country's labor market and permit them to contribute to their own financial support and to that of their families. The emphasis is on the need for work in prison to be voluntary and for the purposes of rehabilitation. So these are, it's just so much stuff that's in this report. I mean, they have charts. They they have the numbers. They tell you uh, all of the companies. So many companies you've heard us mention about SPACs before, special purposes, acquisition companies. They have all these companies that we've never heard of. And they name names as to who the companies that deal with these facts are. Uh, something like direct trailer and equipment, we won't know anything about them, but they name all of the companies that do business with them. Uh, they and, and I mean, it's big names. It's big names in this report, and we encourage everybody to get it. I'm sure if you go to aclu.org, it's going to be right there on their page. Uh, or you can go to Abolition Today, our Facebook page, and follow us there where we have all that information. Go to yep. the Abolition Today Facebook page. Uh, just wanted to break down one that I was like, wow, where they named the company. Okay, so in Utah, and we know in Utah they abolished slavery from their state constitution, and so that's going to open up the pathway for all these lawsuits that people are going to be able to file. So Utah Correctional Industry sold goods and services to almost a 1,000 private companies, including such major corporations as 3M Company, you know, the Post-it notes and tape and stapler, all that stuff, Allstate Insurance, American Apparel, American Express, Apple, AT&T Mobility, Costco, Enterprise Rent-A-Car, FedEx, Frito-Lay, Fujifilm North America, Hertz Corporation, Hewlett-Packard, Hickory Farms, Infinity Motor Company. Now I'm offended. I drive an Infinity. Man. Little Caesars Enterprises, Lowe's, KFC, Office Max, Pepsi, Procter & Gamble, Sarah Lee, who doesn't like the Sarah Lee pound cake? Sarah Lee Corporation, T-Mobile, that's my service, Verizon, and Xerox. <laughs> These companies do business with the Utah correctional industry. They're getting, if you're using Verizon, probably the circuit board is made in the prison system, you know, or the phone itself. You know, if you're using 3M, they're probably making the paper and cutting the paper into the little squares to be post-it notes. So this is a really deep dive, and that's why I encourage everyone to read this report because doing business with these companies, you are supporting slavery, unintentionally, but nonetheless. So It'll make you rethink a lot of things. And that was just one. That was just Utah that we were talking about. I mean, they break it down for many of the states. It's just so much. And just reading the footnotes of the report alone, 
you know, where they take you to the link where you can go read fuller reports where you can see each state, because every state has a prison industry. You know, Vermont has a prison industry. You go to Mississippi. Yeah, many go to Mississippi. There's still a $153 million budget for the uh, Vermont Department of Corrections. Vermont Correctional Industries, you know. Yeah. I went to I went to their website, but it wasn't breaking it down as to where the money goes, you know. But you definitely have to read this report, and I'll pass it back to you, Max. Yes, definitely uh, read that report. And uh, before we move forward, I want to make a, a couple of shout-outs and uh, a comment about what one of our guests has said. Uh, first of all, happy Father's Day, everybody, and happy Father's Day to sure, out there. Sure, we forgot to add that in there. Yeah. Happy Father's Day, y'all. Um, today is the day that fathers are definitely needed. Um, also, I want to shout out Savannah Eldridge from uh, Be Frank for Justice, as well as one of mm-hmm. the members, leading yeah. members of the Abolish Slavery National Network. She's in Galveston, Texas right now. Um, and she was just standing by the billboard that we put there for our federal mm-hmm. amendment that says, mm-hmm. in the exception, and has an image of slavery in uh, 1822, slavery in 1922, and slavery in 2022. And it looks exactly mm-hmm. alike all along the board. Same mm-hmm. shackles and chains, same black men up there in fields with the same white guys on horses ready to shoot them. <laughs> it's amazing. And a heck of a statement to have a billboard like that in Galveston, Texas, right now. And also, I, I, I wanted to comment something that Mark, uh, I mean, no, it, it was Christine said about when you're educating people, right? And then they get it. Because they all know, everybody knows everything already. They just haven't put it together because they don't have that missing link. The missing link being the 13th. I look at it and read it, and here's what it says. Or your state amendment. Look at it, read it, here's what it says. And when they see that, everything clicks together. It's almost audible. You can see it in their eyes. Right, Christine? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah you can, like the truth don't take a lot. Let me tell you the truth. All you got to do is tell it. You got to have the courage to tell it. It will defend itself. And if the truth can't defend itself, it's not the truth. Right. Mm, say it again, please. So all you, the truth is easy to tell. Have the courage to tell it. It will defend itself. And if the truth can't defend itself, then it's not the truth. You just got to put it out so there. Here, read this. Look at it. So, you you but, mentioned Galveston, Texas. I'm sure we have new listeners. Can you please tell them the significance of Juneteenth in Galveston, Texas? General Granger showed up on June 9th, Galveston, Texas, with Union Army behind him, informed Texans that the Emancipation Proclamation had effectively effectively ended slavery in any states, which Texas was one of. And so, by force of arms, they made them uh, be bound to that emancipation. But that is what we celebrate. The last slaves allegedly were told that they had been freed by the Emancipation Proclamation. But what people don't know is that only months later, Texas began coming. So those same black people that just let go, they 
criminalize using black codes, Jim Crow laws, pig laws, vagrancy laws, and then it would put them into uh, service again as free labor under the exception clause of the 13th Amendment. Uh, so they worked in sugar fields, they worked in railroads, they worked in coal mines, and the difference then was they hated them even more now because they were a part of the uh, South losing the war. So they really hated these black people. And in the chattel slavery period, they had some concern black life because as long as you're alive, alive, you can work. And as long as you can work, you can make money. But during the transfer, when it became convict leasing, that concern no longer existed because they would work you to death. And if you while you were in these sugar plantations or mines or railroads, they would just go out and get some more who they had criminalized. And you became very disposable. So that's what Juneteenth was supposed to be about and the information people don't know about it. I do want to uh, do two things. I want to read a little bit about what was said just recently from the Innocence Project. The Innocence Project I like to Max, call them. Before you go, Max, before you go on, can you check your mic a little bit? What's wrong with it? Keep talking because I think it's clear now. It was sort of like going in and out a little bit. Okay. I want to mention the Innocence Project. Can you hear that? Yes, you sound good now. The Innocence, the Innocence Project just recently put out an article, and they're old school slavery abolitionists. They are literally an underground railroad freeing people who have been enslaved. Uh, and they said, when speaking about some of their clients, our clients, especially those wrongfully imprisoned in the South, spent years working in prisons for mere cents per hour, while those beyond prison profited from their work. Some call these conditions modern-day slavery, but those who lived through it will tell you there's nothing modern about it. Those five people, except as a punishment for a crime, carved out an exception that enabled incarcerated people to be used as free and forced labor and paved the way for mass incarceration, particularly of black Americans, that we still see to this day. That's from the Innocence Project. Hey, man. Um, I want to get everybody involved in the Some guests were airing live. Uh, so. What I want to do is I want to play an audio, and I want to hear everybody's comments on it because you're all familiar with this. It's the question of what happens after we do this that we hear from opposition. And in this case, it's in California just two days ago, or yet two, when Cindy, uh, Senator Sidney Carter was addressed uh, by the Department of Finance because they said that if this was passed, it would cost the state a billion and a half dollars uh, in uh, cost for making these uh, people free from slavery and human trafficking. So I'm going to play this, and then we'll start with Mark when we come back and do a round robin. You listen today, abolitiontoday.org. We'll be right back after this. Abolition. 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 Today. Today. We have a Mr. Wykowski has a question. Um. Senator Kamlager, let's assume that the Department of Finance is right and that this, to maintain the prison system and pay people a minimum wage, um, 
it's going to cost a billion and a half. And our our second our uh, Senate Office of Research says that if we pay the minimum wage, and everybody should understand that we're paying people eight cents to thirty seven cents currently, right? And we get an extra buck if they work on the fire crew. So that's it. But we have many measures that talk about the circle of poverty of people that are in the prison system and they come out, they face homelessness, they don't have. Uh, money to buy food, they don't have money for, you know, to do training or to do things. Isn't there a secondary benefit of, one, stopping the abhorrent involuntary servitude, right? But this, wouldn't this help help people who are leaving the prison system to be better prepared, at least monetarily, or while they're in the prison system and making minimum wage, assist their family and, and uh, people outside the prison system that, that they're still little kids. They still need assistance from whoever is incarcerated. Is that a fair um, analysis of the fiscal impact of this? what this constitutional amendment may have? Well, Senator Wykowski, I have to thank you for asking the question and bringing me back to reality because my blood pressure is shot off the chain listening to Department of Finance. We could certainly have a moral discussion. Uh, the reality is there are six words in this um, bill that just say to remove involuntary servitude. There, you know, there are real economic discussions. We've, this country has been having economic discussions for hundreds of years around slavery and involuntary servitude and indentured servitude. Obviously, you keep people as slaves and you keep them as um, uh, indentured servants or forced involuntary servitude because it is cheaper to do so. You know, 80% of the work that happens inside our correctional facilities is maintenance labor. Our goal when we talk about CDCR and policies is around how to A, rehabilitate, B, provide access to educational services and vocational training so that folks are released, they are able to successfully re-enter. That costs money, but the goal is if you invest then, then you can hopefully save money on the outside for either county services or local services or even state services. It's a travesty that we train folks with particular skill sets to get particular skill sets within our correctional facilities and then prohibit them from getting a job with those particular skill sets because of the laws that we have on the books. It's a travesty that we ask folks to serve time and then when, we, when they leave and are released, we give them $200 and ask them never to make a mistake, never to do wrong, and automatically get a job and figure out how you're going to do check-ins with parole and then care for your family. This bill does not talk about economics. This is a constitutional amendment. The beauty of this body is that we are the ones that decide how to implement it through policy. And I have to say that Department of Finance is tone deaf because current treasury currency is not the only measure of payment or compensation. You know, the CDCR can get incredibly innovative with how you reward or incentivize workers with, you know, credits with additional um, dollars on the books for your commissary, with additional visitation times. There are so many other ways. If you're trying to 
save money, which I can't believe we are talking about when we're talking about someone's freedom as a worker. But there are a number of different ways that CDCR works to um, pay, incentivize, reward, compensate those within the system for doing work. Um, and they're not talking about any of that at all in this incredibly grotesque analysis about why it makes more sense for the state of California to continue to advocate for and allow involuntary servitude in prison. I mean, I think this is what we were talking about that led to the Civil War. Very long answer. I'm now going to go meditate. All right. Are asking for an eye vote? Yeah. I'm asking... <laughs> For an I vote. That's your close? That is the close. And do we have a motion? Yes, I made a motion. Mr. Laird made a motion. We have a passionate close and a robust comment. And then might I also ask, I'm also just deeply insulted that of all the ones that we heard today, this is the only one where Department of Finance has a file. And this is the only one where Department of Finance says, hey, we could deal with litigation. This might not be unconstitutional. I mean... When we have a resolution on Juneteenth. Duly noted. All right, Mr. Consultant. ACA 3, the motion is that the measure be adopted and re-referred to the Senate floor. Senator Portentino. Aye. Portentino, aye. Senator Bates. Senator Bradford. Bradford, aye. Senator Jones. Senator Kamlogger. Aye. Kamlogger, aye. Senator Laird. Aye. Laird, aye. Senator Wykowski. Aye. Wykowski, aye. Vote is five to zero. It is out five to zero. Um, appropriately. Abolition. Abolition. Today. Today. You just heard Senator, Senator Sidney Kamlogger speaking at the ACA3 Appropriations Hearing on June 13, 2020. Yes. So, Max, I pass it to you first so you can take the questions around the room. Oh, no doubt, brother. You know, there's so much to say. But first, I just want to – the only thing I do want to say is when a black woman tells you that her blood pressure is up, it's on. Let me tell you, it's on. <laughs> brother Mark Hughes, what you just heard. Yes, sir. I, I mean, it's not surprising. I, I think that we, I, I think if we, we, we don't want to spend too much time being shocked and uh, surprised and astonished when people um, respond to the prospect of them abolishing slavery with economic concerns. Hello? That's the reason why slavery was instituted in the first place. Uh, that's the reason why slavery has maintained its, uh, uh, you know, malignant presence across the United States until the 19th of June, 2022. That's the reason why each and every system of oppression, as we start to, if you peel the onion and try to figure out why there is such a um, just a ridiculous and sad disparity in housing um, as it pertains to black folks. Like there's 13 black people who own houses in in, in Burlington, period. 
you start to try to figure out why only 0.2% of the farmland in the state is owned by black folks. Um, if you try to figure out, um, you know, why, you know, though we're 1.5% of the state that black folks in the state are incarcerated at 10 to 11%. And the list goes on and on. If you, if you start, because now I'm talking about badges and incidents, mm-hmm. but we're still talking about slavery for sure. And, you know, some of us call it systemic racism. But it's like my wife says, it's the same soup and it's a different pot. You know, it's just more of the same. Uh, and, um, you know, I think it is important that we're able to get folks to call it out. And, I mean, to say it, to, like they said, make them say it, as we say at home, to make them say it. Uh, so at least, you know, we could point back at them and say, look, he just said it. Sadly, in America today, you can even just say it, and a lot of people will be like, yep, like like that, you know, and, and won't even flinch. Mm-hmm. You know, you can talk about stuff like, I don't know, government insurrection or something, I don't know, and say you were complicit, and and most people will probably want to vote for you. So, so it's... um. Yeah, it's it's a challenge. It's a challenge, but I I do I will say this last thing is say we can't get trapped on this thing though uh, when we start talking about the other side of abolition. We don't want to get stuck. We don't want to get trapped on the other side of abolition because number one, the reason why they're having these economic conversations because somebody bit. Mm-hmm. Somebody said, oh. Sure, we'll have a conversation with you about a state of our nation which will exist that has never existed in in our history as a nation, and you're asking me to tell you what I think it's going to look like kind of conversation. Sure, I'll be happy to have that. No, I'm not having that conversation with you, Mr. Senator. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the other thing is is that we got to be careful not to get trapped in a corrections corner Mm -hmm. because – if you we paint ourselves into that correction corner, as things come up that relate to slavery that are not corrected, they're going to be harder and harder to have a conversation about because y'all swore up and down this was just these are just corrections implications. I'm uh, sure. I'll pause there. I mean, it just seems Thank like the, the opportunity to go back to the moral aspects of it. You know, since. You all are the ones that have been benefiting economically for the past couple hundred years. How about you figure out the economics of it? But can we agree that morally it's wrong? No, we can't. <laughs> well, you know, are they going to say that? There's, there's just, people that raise that are not going to say, yes, slavery is morally wrong. You know? Uh, <laughs> you were ready to say something. Yeah, so I was talking about the economic, um, I was thinking about the economic challenge that you guys were talking about. And, you know, the way people are protected with money is so weird to me. <laughs> it's like, it's very strange. You know, I've met the wealthy, I've known the poor. You know, it's too strange. Um, but I would say, you know, they're trying to protect money, right? Because they don't want to be robbed, they don't want thievery, they don't want someone to take their money. But they're really robbing people's life. And that's like, I don't know, I just keep thinking about that price. That's a high, high price. And someone, something, someone or someone has to pay. Something or something has to pay. So everyone has to pay a price. And I just kind of think about the price must be paid. Um, 
paid. And we are, you know, we're paying a price right now with our time and our efforts and our vote. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, the thing about the jobs, too, because I feel prisoner rights, I think, should be in college. Um, I think it should be required for everyone. It's kind of like um, pregnancy and prisoner rights. <laughs> because even if you think, like, oh, I'm civilized, you know, I'm not unruly, I, I'm lawful, I won't, you know, enter a system where they're just taking my independence away, they're taking away my ability to communicate, my ability to pray, my ability to have my religious faith. I mean, all of these things can be taken away like that. And I've learned that through real life. <laughs> and um, and the lack of support is wild. So you, we really need to support the people on the inside because it is a lonely place. And it's not it's not that it's lonely, it's hard to get the message out there. So. And, we're, and we're working on it. We're paying the price so they don't suffer because of suffering. So I don't know if that's all... <laughs> A linear thought, but it's just so many thoughts about. We're, we're with you on that. And, Mark, you just really hit something that's a great reminder for all of us that when we start talking about slavery, that it's not just about corrections because we know about the wines and thieves complex that they have going on, industrial complex, that leads a lot of people to becoming incarcerated. Because you can go and you can get a ticket, and then you have to pay a fine for that ticket, and then when you can't pay that fine, you can be incarcerated for not paying that fine. So we know it extends beyond it. They found clever ways to feed into the prison system because that's where where they can generate the most money, just by having that body. You know, that's that habeas culture, that we have the body and – you have warehousing bodies and just for the mere, you know, it's five of us sitting here, mm-hmm. you know, and if we were inside of a prison, they'd be getting, you know, depending on where it is, you know, 300000 $500,000 a year off of each one of our bodies mm-hmm. just sitting there. But they don't need us to work anymore. Okay. They just need us there. They just need the body. And Max is much better with the numbers when it comes to breaking it down through all the states. Well, I, I was just before Max, before you go on Max, I, I was I just wanted to flag this one quick thing as far as when we look at the legacy of slavery, what we have to understand is is that the product when we when we talk about a an, a political and an economic divide along racial lines, what that means, you know, the manifestation of it could mean, um, you know, more economic power and more political power for white folks and, you know, obviously less for black and brown folks. I'm going somewhere with this, so please listen closely. What, what I'm getting at here is, is that, you know, slavery, you know, as far as the, the, act, the act of slavery and ownership of a person and the, the whole idea that that person would be confined or, in, in this particular case, incarcerated, all of those are, you know, I think are more direct and more visible and um, more tangible um, aspects of one, what one would call slavery. But I think part of the, part of the, um, the legacy of slavery is, again, a division along political and economic lines. And, and what that means is, is, for example, when we look in, I'm going to take you just right into the Department of Children and Family. When we look in the Department of Children and Family and we see the, the horrid um, conditions in terms of how it's possible that a 
that a person can actually literally show up at a person's door and take their children from their home. Call it whatever you want to, Mm -hmm. but let's just call it a person showing up at a person's door and taking their children because we have labels for everything. So, because mm-hmm. you could call it human trafficking, you call it slavery, blah blah blah, all these labels. Because as soon as you get away from that, as soon as you get away from that labeling, then you can get to morality. Because because when you start categorizing things, then people start, oh, it doesn't technically qualify as that because then they start trying to put definition on it. We're talking about somebody taking a child from a home, but mm-hmm. that's not even the point. The point is the disproportionate rate at which it occurs in black folks. Why is that? Because of the legacy of slavery. So when when you start talking about the whole idea of, you know, folks being stopped by police, it's not a big deal until you look at the disproportionate rate in which so that is the legacy of slavery. And when you start talking about allocation of appropriation of funding, and the reverse is true, when very little seldom makes it to black and brown hands, and quite frequently most all of it makes it into white hands. That is a division along a, a political and economic division among racial lines, and that too is a badge and incident. It is a example of systemic racism, and it is a legacy of slavery. So, so, so what I'm getting at here is, is let you know if we if we get stuck in the prison, we are gonna miss the big story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I hear you. Uh, I do want. Oh, I mean, I still think. Hold on, Matt. Um, well, I do want to hear Maya's uh, opinion on what she heard earlier as well. And uh, yes, Mark, you're right. Those badges and incidents of slavery are an issue, which is why, as a poet, I'm very aware of the power of words, and that's why we want to make sure people know exactly what they're dealing with. You're not dealing with mass incarceration. You're not dealing with prison for profit. You're not dealing with policing for profit. You're not dealing with any of these synonyms. You're dealing with a crime against humanity. All you got to do is count heads. So, Maya, would you like to make a comment on what you heard or throughout any of this? Yeah, well, I just want to say, like, um, like what you said earlier, there's so much, there's so much that you could say and that you could comment on, on what we heard um, on the last track. And um, I'm just taking it all in. And um, the thing, the thing that interests me most is, is the numbers and the uh, statistics. And um, Yusuf, Yusuf gave us a list um, of statistics, and we were hearing some percentages that the woman was talking about earlier. So um, I'm just taking it all in because I swear it's, it's, it's you, you learn something new every single time. There's so much, um, there's so much new information that that's coming to light, and um, it's just. It's just a lot to take in, and that's what I'm doing right now. So, thank you. Um, I, I did want to mention about the clip, though, and it, it's not us, really, Mark. It's not us that are talking about what happens after slavery. It's them. That they are literally out of all the bills they had that day, coming up on Juneteenth, the only one, as she said, that they decided we want to see how much money this is going to cost us finance the report on and then opposed it. It's the only one they did it and daring to do it on Juneteenth, the first federal Juneteenth that we've had. Uh, so that was one of the reasons why she's upset and they always do that. They always ask us at every hearing, what's this going to do? What happens after this? What about the prison labor? What about how we pay these people? And we keep telling them the same thing she told them. And slavery, period. What is all this questioning? 
And historically speaking, this is how they've done. Just as you mentioned, Mark, they're always concerned about how much does it cost because slavery has a price. For a certain amount, you won't end it. And prison tends to be too big to fail. You su- Gotta pay the price. I keep saying that. There's always a price to pay. For sure. And and that's it. Too big to fail. So we uh you wanna get into another track, Matt? Um, yeah, we can do that, but I wanna open the mic again for our guests. If there's any else other things you wanna make a comment or a statement on or question uh before we you know, play another track. Oh, sorry. <laughs> what were you gonna say? I was going to say the woman was bold. I never, you know, I never heard that thing before. The speaker was her name, Senator Sydney Kamlaka. Yeah, I've never heard her speak before. So um, I like to talk about the Civil War. How she talks about how this is what these type of conversations initiated the Civil War, which is you know, one side wanting to keep the money, the other side wanting to be. That's that's what they're fighting for, really, if you look at it. So you know, um, I think that's really great that you know, they're she's reminding. Okay. The history of people I, I have to pull out my sword really quick on you, oh, you got a sword. Karen. Oh, no. Yeah, okay. because I do got a shield. Yeah. Sword, so, I'm ready for you. so it wasn't that one side was looking for equality. See, the only difference, and this is made clear by Lincoln in the letter that he wrote to uh, what was the guy's name again? Max, I forgot his Jeff name. Stevens. Stevens. Yes, Jeff Stevens, who was the vice president of the Confederacy. Mm-hmm. Lincoln said in this letter, and it's a well-documented letter, where he said, you know, our really only place of difference is that in the South, they believe that slavery should be expanded, and in the North, they wanted it to just limit it. See, Lincoln has clearly said that if he could have ended the Civil War without ending slavery, he would have done so. You know, so it wasn't about equality. It was about they wanted limitation, and this is it. there's the dual limitation. It's right. limiting it to where it's only through the prison system. That was sort of like the compromise. Well, I would say the there's also the limitation on what you can do with it. How far can it go? Because they wanted to expand it into the Northwest Territory, to the Western Territory, all of that stuff. They really wanted this thing to go. So they found a slick way to do it. They said, okay. Let's put it in the 13th Amendment. Let's make this exception clause. And now once a person has been duly convicted, now they become a slave of the state. They become civilly dead. This is actually in a court case, you know, Ruffin versus Commonwealth. No, sorry, Holt versus Sarver. No, Ruffin versus Commonwealth. They said this in that, in that, in that uh, ruling. This was in... Yeah, this is this is in 1871, and all the cases after that follow that same ruling. Yes, you're a slave of the state once you become duly convicted. So it was never about equality. It was definitely about the money, and they found a clever way to keep the money rolling in. And, in fact, they made more money because you look at now. I mean, there are more people incarcerated now than – and working or enslaved now than there was during actual chattel slavery. <laughs> you know, so it was also the point that they started coming up with crazy laws like vagrancy and speak you, on you it. have to Please. have a card that it. says that you're employed and 
You look at somebody cross-eyed, and all of a sudden there's all these laws that can just criminalize black people. Oh, well, one could one could argue that you don't have to be incarcerated to be a slave of the state. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I mean by that, and, and I'm like wards of not, the state. I, I didn't just turn in my I didn't turn in my um, my um, my card at the front door before I came in because I'm still I'm still on the team here. Mm-hmm. But uh, but what I'm getting at though is is that. Um, Thank you. Let's take Title One in school. Uh-huh. Uh huh. You know, first let's start with the census. Mm-hmm. In that matter, and start. Let's get to counting black and brown heads. We know that most black people are poor, despite the fact that most poor people are white. And when we establish this census, that demographic is going to break out those economically disadvantaged areas, and that's what those federal dollars are going to go. Mm-hmm. They're, they're counting those heads, those black and brown heads. Sure. When you look in those schools with the Title One money. What they do is they divert that title money and send it elsewhere. They make that money off the heads of black and brown kids. They do the same thing. They do the same thing with the transportation projects. They're supposed to be doing the so-called community outreach. You know, you got the folks over at Chittenden County Regional Planning. They're over here um, uh, at uh, the Transportation Department, State uh, Transportation Department. Those guys with uh, down here um, with. Uh, um, uh, no, that's not what I'm talking about. The two with the with the city and all these other folks. Champlain Parkway runs right through the middle. It's a $41 million project. Who's getting all of the money? I don't know of any black construction workers, but I do know that the most black, the blackest neighborhood in the state is being disrupted by a highway again that's going straight through that neighborhood in 2022. And 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 that that neighborhood right there is is a cash cow for federal funding mm-hmm. that comes in this state. But it's unbeknownst to the vast majority of people who even live in Maple King area that the, that the state is benefiting with these with these uh, community block grants and so forth as a result of the presence of these black bodies. And it goes on and on and on and on and on. All I'm saying is, is that we don't have to be in prison to be slaves. These, there are systems that are in place now that are benefiting white folks every single day and not benefiting black folks where those federal funds were allocated specifically because there was poor and black folks in that neighborhood in the first place. So, and that goes across all systems. And when you start looking at the way the state does business uh, and you start looking at how to rectify any of those challenges, you're always going to hear the reason why they can't fix it because it costs too much. Um, I'm here, bro. Awesome. All right. So with that being said, um, we're going to play another track, and it's going to revisit some of, well, one of my favorite moments in this fight that you've had to remove these exception clauses from the Vermont State Constitution. And um, that would be, let's see, pulling it up Peter here. Anthony? Yes. Anthony um, Representative Peter Anthony, his remarks oh, on yeah. PR2. Uh, that was pretty awesome. After we came in and mass from all over the country uh, to speak in testimony, he learned some things that Professor Beachout hadn't taught him, uh, you know, <laughs> nor any of the others. Uh, so it was it was an amazing moment to hear this type of click moment, like we were talking about, Christine, where his eyes were open, and that's going to be followed by Amazing Grace from the Blind Boys of Alabama. 
You're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org, and today we are airing live from Vermont at the Vermont Racial Justice Alliance, along with Brother Mark, Maya, and Karen, and we'll be right back after this. Abolition. Abolition. Representative Anthony. Thank you, Madam Chair. <clears throat> I, uh, I, I, like Rep. Dan, and I, I'm not sure uh, how one could or should steer, if you will, reaction to a proposal. Um, I, this won't be the first hearing that I have attended, listened to, where uh, some of the testimony goes way off point. Uh, I'm not sure that you can uh, uh, control that, frankly. You just have to uh, sort of filter it. I do want to put in a plug, however, for some of the things I heard, which I am surprised I did not hear from any of the um, uh, historian types that we took testimony from. I'm referring to the uh, assertion, and I'll call it an assertion, uh, that I never heard until uh, very recently that while Vermont's inclusion of the exceptions, so to say, may have been uh, focused on an accommodation for the widespread practice supporting emigration from the old country uh, in the form of indentured servitude. But I, I had heard not any discussion by historians specifically of Vermont history, uh, casting a wider lens and suggesting, as was suggested last night, that our inclusion of that exception was a path-breaking and many replicated opening to some mischief in other states using that exception. And frankly, I was unaware of that. I did not know that it was so frequently repeated literally throughout the 19th century and uh, exported, if you will, even into um, uh, governments outside of the United States and North America. So that was a light bulb on for me uh, that I will now pay attention to. So I I frankly thank testimony for drawing that um, piece of information to my attention since no Vermont historians uh, despite the fact that we like to say, think that we're first in many things, that didn't happen ever to say, by the way, you're the first in creating an exception that was much abused around the United States during the entire 19th century. Interesting piece of information. Thank you. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that
And, and the yes. other thing I think that if they if they follow some of the thought and they apply this information to what they've always believed about the stuff like just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and all those people are in jail because they did something wrong. Like all that stupid stuff Logical that people problem. say and they think that feeds into the myth, the myth of white supremacy. Right. It's jumbling up their brains. You know, they need right. to alcohol or something. So I want to ask a question while we also getting comments on the track. How many were actually taught the 13th Amendment in school? Taught it. Not what they told you it said. So all five of us here were not taught anything about the 13th Amendment other than it, it ended slavery. But we were never required to read it. And I went to some of the best schools in the state of Maryland, you know, top schools, and we never were taught about the 13th Amendment, other than just the lie that it ended slavery. All right. Neither uh, did I. Hey, Maya, do you have any comments on the, what you heard or what we're speaking of? Uh, no, no comments. <laughs> All right. Uh, Sister Karen? Karen? Uh, just a simple fact that nothing bothers an oppressor. <laughs> did you say your father was an oppressor? No, 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 he's a great man. Delight. Um, no, I was saying nothing bothers an oppressor than uh, an educated slave. Yes, absolutely. Uh, really, but, I think the biggest battle is education, you know, honestly. The more you know, <laughs> really, the more you know. And, uh, yeah. When Frederick Douglass was caught trying to read, he was told that knowledge makes us a man unfit to be a slave. Well, it's also like the right types of truth. You know, that's the thing. People are like, oh, you speak the truth, you speak the truth. But really, the truth always leads you to the original source. And the original source is that, you know, it's not humanly possible for us to, like, think that we as another human can con- not just control another human, but overtake their life, overtake so much. I mean, their identity, their everything. So, you know, it's not just like, I'm taking all these truths, I'm learning all these truths. It's about, you know, finding the truth that actually leads you somewhere. People know a lot of things about the Constitution, the laws, but it leads them to nowhere, and, and we're learning truths that lead us to somewhere. So it's better to move somewhere than go nowhere. <laughs> and, and here's his, that's my Yeah, shield. and I was going to say, you know, we're in the presence of a He's pastor, and I see yeah, he, he pulled out his Bible. You know, so okay. Mark is definitely getting ready to hit us with something. Uh, well, we'll keep it going until he's ready because right, something well, in the conversation. Well, I have one for us. Deuteronomy uh, 23, verse 5. Oh, no. Deuteronomy 5. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Deuteronomy 23, verse 5. Um, the Lord turned the curse into a blessing. And that's what I feel like is happening right now. Oh, it's not. The Lord turned the curse into a blessing because he loves you. That's the full scripture. <laughs> You know, I was I was looking at the reason why I, I opened the Bible. I'm not preaching to you today, but I, I'm reminded of when um, I think it was Paul, and maybe it was um, maybe it was um, Peter. They were um, hanging out, and they ran into this this woman who was possessed, and she kept running behind them, screaming their names and saying, "These guys are." You prophet to the most high God, you know, and, she, and, and they were like, oh, my God, you know, please go away. And, and the Bible says that, that Paul actually uh, uh, got annoyed. I think it was Paul. He's a Roman. Uh, and um, 
the, the the point the only point being was is the Bible made it clear that the reason why she was there was is because uh, not only was she possessed but she was working for some other folks because she was a slave. Mm-hmm. She was a slave, uh-huh. and she was she was profiteering for them, and she was a seer. So she was that kind of woman who was just you know let me read your hands you know let's get out the Ouija board whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. um and. She was healed, and the demon was cast from her, and so she walked away from all of that. And at that point, there was this big upward upheaval because she was no longer able to make profit. Mm-hmm. She was no longer able to make a profit for her owners. And I was just reminded, I was just sitting here thinking of that, because, and they wanted to kill these brothers mm-hmm. because they healed her. because she Not because they healed her, but because she was no longer of any use to them. Mm-hmm. And I'm just sitting here thinking about this thing and I'm because I'm trying to figure out the best way to say this to my brothers and sisters that are listening as we as we think about as we process the prospect of the eradication of slavery, something that tore a nation in half. They caused six hundred and twenty thousand people to kill each other, most of them families. Mm-hmm. That's what we're that's what we're talking about. We're talking about something that's so deep that in order to fix it and even the badges and incidents associated with it, that somebody is always going to have to sacrifice political and economic power. Why? Because that's exactly what it took to establish it and that's what it's producing as it is sustained. And it doesn't make any difference across which one of these social determinants that we're talking, there is there are many profit houses that are creating billions and trillions of dollars of revenue that are based upon the existence of black and brown bodies in America yeah. where they are not they're not being privileged to benefit at a level where their white contemporaries are. And to dismantle that, it will require the commitment of the true commitment and sacrifice of white people. (laughs) The true commitment and sacrifice of white people because in order to fix this, white people have to see, they have to be willing to give up political and economic power. You know, Marcus Barber in his self speech always says, has a question of people. Have you ever asked yourself as a black person why you enter a space and the white person is always above you? You, you know, have you noticed that? Like, he, he's talking a much more specifically than I am. <laughs> Later, I test my best friend, honestly. But, um, but the, you know, like that question of, like, you know, why is it that every time I go into a, an environment, a center, you know, the white person is always, you know, it's not necessarily, it's about you can feel it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so when you can, it's just like, why is that? It's, and sometimes when I ask myself that question, I start looking people right in the eyes and look, you know, Equal. I am your equal. You know, we're both committing to the same constitution. And um, this is a wild, it's a wild thing to think about. And Marcus Garvey is really great at um, how do other people understand themselves. So, yeah. And also, you have to be careful about people who are part of the movement, who, who say good things 
things that may look like they want to help, but what are they committed to? Who are their masters? That's what I, you know, thought mm. to everybody. Um, um, yeah, I, I'm with you on that. And while I'm listening to you, <laughs> while I'm listening to you, I happen to be looking at a picture that was sent out from the Department of Rehabilitation and Correction in Ohio. And it is a great big red, black, and uh, gold heart with the words Juneteenth, Freedom Day. The damn prisons just wished us a happy Juneteenth. If this is not some kind of sick joke, I don't know what it is. It is from the Ohio Department of Rehabilitation and Correction, wishing us a happy Freedom's Day with a nice little red, green, and gold heart. Yes. You got it hitting me. Yes. Uh, nope. It is what it is, brother. That's that's how they roll, you know. They, and it, as it is Mark said earlier, we have to stop acting surprised. You know, it's, this is who they are. Right, right. That's got to be spiteful. You're not trying to yeah. be nice. That's spiteful right there. You're saying, look, we're the ones that's keeping you in cages, so here you go. And some of my friends behind enemy lines in these prisons have said much the same uh, recently. How do you think they feel? How do slaves feel on Juneteenth? Uh, though those who have not still been freed, still still subject to slavery. When we talk about reparations for descendants of slaves, they are slaves right now. How do you think they feel when Juneteenth is a holiday celebrating what? The end of slavery. Freedom Day. I would just go back to um, this. You know, I was in I was in Acts chapter sixteen, verse sixteen, as when I was talking to you earlier, and I would just take you back to that because again, um, when these brothers um, commanded that spirit out of that woman, uh, what I was trying to get after was that um, they in nineteen it says that they saw that the hope of their gains were gone. Uh, so they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers, and then they brought them in there. And what they were doing is they saying, "Look, these guys are troubling our city. They got the lion on them." Is what I'm telling you. Is is when when you when when we begin to shift the narrative, and it begins to cost people money. When you know when it when it looks as though the political and economic power is is being threatened then there is no end to what folks will do to try to prevent you from doing that or to try to preclude you from doing that, to try to discourage you from doing that, to dissuade you and even attack you, to falsely accuse you, or even worse. So this, this is not for lighthearted uh, type activism. This is abolitionism. This is, you got to pay attention to what's going on because this, this thing right here, you know what? What what Max is describing is light compared to how this particular thing can come after you because this is livelihood. This is people's money, and they've been counting it for a long time, and they ain't trying to you know get shortchanged today uh, because of all of a sudden somebody want to do something that's right. You know, it's funny you should say that, Mark. Because yesterday, 
while I was in North Carolina at the Southern Appalachian Yearly uh, Meeting of an Association of Friends, uh, I was approached a gentleman who said that he provides protection for whistleblowers. And mm. he was telling me he thinks I'm in a position where I probably need that. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and he was serious as a heart attack. Like you said, this yeah, yeah. mess with their money. Uh, the prison industry you didn't alone. Know? You know, huh? I said, you didn't know? Yeah, I've been known, man. They, they tried to burn my house down. They tried to kidnap my children. I've been threatened. I've received death threats from individuals as well as police unions. Um, we've been, but man, you name it, we've been through it. I could go with the list forever. <laughs> so I know they're serious as a heart attack. And in this country, the prison industries and the surrounding satellite industries, as well as the money they extort from family members who uh, have loved ones that have been kidnapped and are being exploited, amounts to about a half a trillion dollars a year. That's a lot of money. And this is an economic development program. Right now, in your state, you got contracts with a for-profit private prison where you're shipping inmates to states where they never com- committed a crime across state lines into places where they've never committed a crime, not just any place, but you sending them into the deep, dark South. So if you're in Vermont, you're like, you know, that only happens in the South. Commit a crime, guess where it happens? You go to a for-profit prison deep in the South, in uh, Mississippi, right, Mark? That's right. And, you know, it's, it's, it's the, the other thing that you have to remember in, in dealing with this, because, you know, often you hear people talk about slavery, like pre-Reconstruction, and they try to delineate, you know, the, the South's involvement uh, from the North's involvement, and they try to paint it in a really nice way where it's saying, you know, well, we weren't complicit or we didn't really benefit. And increasingly, more and more, if you scratch the surface, you begin to see how, you know, there were benefits to folks who were, you know, up, up, up in the North and then, of course, you know, across the country and, and across the world. And I think what what you will see is, is as, if you really, as we begin, we, as we begin to unpeel this onion and, and as we begin to see these systems of oppression that are benefiting um, that are benefiting white folks that have been doing so for, for generations and continue to do so and, and doing so at the expense of and because of the existence of black and brown folks. Now, this, is, again, this doesn't mean that we don't have power. This doesn't mean that we don't have, that we don't have our, our own agency. This, this doesn't mean that we don't have our ability to thrive in and of ourselves because we are exceptional people because we are black people. So don't, I don't want to get that twisted, but what I'm saying is, is there's still this system that's here. And all I'm really getting at is, is that if you, start, if you just took one of them and started to unpeel it, for example, like the, like the, justice, the so-called criminal justice system, you will see secondary, tertiary, and it goes on and on and on. There are concentric circles that just keep going on. And it could be somebody just makes a little vial this big. You know, and where it ends up in, in, the, in the, the usefulness that it plays in a, in a system that's just just immersed and interconnected, not just within each state, but the states are also connected as well. And, and, and you know, it, even when you start talking about the education system, and I think the other concern is, is that 
you know, you have to remember this is, is that that cannot be exposed, that what we're talking about, it can't be exposed. Wow. So the time is really gone tonight, Matt, you know, not even realizing that, you know, man. Yes. It's about time to do a round robin with everybody. Yeah, we're going to do a round robin so everyone can get the opportunity to give closing remarks, any information, website, email addresses, uh, any upcoming events, all of these things. And we'll start with you, Maya, you know, starting from the right, and we'll just go around the table. Uh, And we have a hand up, too, by the way, uh, calling in. Uh, that will join us after we get our comments from Maya. Okay. Yeah, so um, this was um, really informational, a lot of new, a new, um, a lot of new updates and topics and just um, some stuff I didn't know. So it was really interesting, and um, I definitely enjoyed tonight. Thank you, Maya. All right, uh, let's get in our caller real quick before we uh, finish off here. Uh, four, what's happening, fam? Hey, y'all. Hey, y'all. This is Savannah, <laughs> hey, calling hey, from hey, Texas. Hey, I wanted to chime in. I am actually traveling from Galveston. Um, to I, I'm actually a native Texan, and I've never been to the Juneteenth celebration in Galveston. And so I went down there to check it out and also to to look at the In the Exception billboard that was put up there. Um, So I'll be circulating pictures of that. But I just wanted to say hello to everybody. Um, Great conversation from what I can hear. I'll have to go back and listen to the rest of it. And uh, just keep up the good work. Thank you, Savannah. You out there doing hero stuff right now. Um, yeah, you have to do hero stuff right now in Galveston, Texas, the home of Juneteenth, where it all began, and where yeah. the uh, truth got twisted. Stay safe, Savannah. Savannah is a uh, one of our lead members for the Abolish Slavery National Network, yeah. as well as the co-founder of Abolish, uh, co-founder of Be Frank with Justice. All right, so uh, let's go to our next person. Um, that would be, uh, let's see, say, Christine. Sister Christine. Yeah. Anything you want I'm to say at all? Yeah, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be part of this. Um, my cousin just came in the building, so we're going to fill him in a little bit. And um, I just, you know, the other thing is that I'm just really going to keep everybody's safety in prayer because some of that stuff, I mean, Max is describing all that stuff and laughing. Like, that's not really funny, Max, but we'll come back to that some other time. Um, yeah, I'm just glad to be here, and I'm glad to see. I, I'm looking forward to see how this unfolds. And we don't have to get out in front of it. We really don't. And we don't have to figure everything out so that we can tell white folks what they should expect when we unravel right. this crap that they've been pulling on everybody for the past couple hundred years. So I'm just glad to be here. Thank you, Christine. I was laughing at my son. Uh, my son does not follow my work, and he decided to call me while I was on air uh, via uh, Zoom. So I was like, I, that was expected. <laughs> I got to call him. Yeah, but I'm after. talking about threats and everything, Max. Like, that's not funny. Oh, it's not funny to us either. We took it very serious. We used to have to walk our children to school armed because of that. 
Um, we've been through it all, uh, <clears throat> and we're, we're probably going to go through more before it's said and done. We can't afford to lose you. All right, uh, Sister Karen. Well, uh, um, I don't, I don't like to be seen. That's why I come late and leave early, typically. <laughs> but um, you know, it's it's real. It's real out here. Um, you know, I do always speak because they like you to um, hide your story. I was unlawfully, unconstitutionally, uh, civilly detained, so I know what it's like to really desire freedom. I know what it's like to be like, where are all the black people at, you know, helping me? I know what it's like. So, you know, it's a very serious thing. Um, but, you know, the goal is not to live forever. The goal is while you are living is to, be on, you know, live a purposeful life. So um, they could be killing you or they could be creating a new purpose for someone else to take on. So that's what our ancestors pretty much did for us. So um, I live in no fear. So I'm, I would recommend the same for you. And, um, yeah, I'm excited to be here. I'm a little tired. I did go up late, but I showed up. And um, I'm excited to uh, just hear people walking somewhere because I'm just tired of zombies, and I'm also tired of people walking nowhere. So we're walking somewhere. Um and if you're part of the light, you'll walk to the light. If you're not part of the light, then that's your own choice. So I'm just excited to be here. Amen. Brother uh, Mark Hughes? Oh, sorry. You, you weren't finished. Go ahead. No, I just said all is well. Thank you, Thank you so much. Brother Mark Hughes. What an amazing weekend. What a crazy, crazy weekend we've had here in the state of Vermont. Uh, we started it off with a um, – a lift off of our campaign uh, on uh, on Friday morning. Uh, I, I think we even had something going on before that, but I'm not quite sure what it was. Oh, Thursday evening, we actually we actually did abolish slavery as we normally do yes, on Thursday the evening. The governor's announcement went down uh, before that because the governor had that constitutional responsibility to make that proclamation for the ballot uh, item uh, for PR2. And just leading it into and across all of the activities of Juneteenth, as well as, uh, you know, the virtual prayer breakfast this morning and through church and all of the things today and finally making it here. I'll, I'll, most, I'll be honest with you, I, I didn't know if I was going to make it for a minute here. Um, <laughs> but what an amazing time. It was unfortunate, Max, that you weren't able to get out here, um, especially since we were – prepared for you to arrive, and, and I think that, um, you know, we're disappointed that Curtis, um, having made similar preparations for him, we just didn't see him either, but it's, um, but I am, you know, I'm so delighted that um, that you, yourself, that you made it. We got one out of three, right? and sometimes 33% yeah. is so bad, you know, so it's amazing. I, I really appreciate y'all. Look out uh, this upcoming week. Uh, Christine and I will be on vacation. It is my anniversary in the morning. Shout out to my lovely wife. She's so she is going to I'm going on anniversary. Exactly. Am I included in that vacation? Um, so I, I, just want, I wanted to just say that on air. It's my, it's my anniversary. I'm so happy. I'm so blessed that I have such a powerful woman in my life. That is my Ursa. That's my power. That's my rock right there. I wouldn't be nothing without her. So I'm just blessed and so honored. I love you, honey. Uh, and we are we're getting ready to get out of here. I'm just so pleased 
that um, we've, we've taken this. This is the granddaddy, and we did it. The granddaddy in Vermont. This is where it all started at, 1777, and we and we are knocking it out of the park. We saw Debbie. I mean, I could go on and on, which I won't, but Max, I love you. I'm, I'm sorry you didn't make it out, but we'll, you know, give our regards to Tribal Rain and, and let her know that we're still here, and y'all are always welcome in my house. And, Amen, um, and of brother. Course, We'll give a shout out to Curtis as well. Before the summer's over, Max, you better get up. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Max. Oh, can I just say one last thing? So, yes. besides just seeing Angela um, Davis speak um, at the Flint, I got to speak with her at a private event. And I asked her one question because that's the only thing that my soul told me to ask her. I said, is it the power? Which one's more important, the power to the people or power to the jury? And she said, you know, the people. I mean, she had a incredible story that I think I probably should write in a book. Mm-hmm. Anyways, but her answer was amazing, and it's really the people, you know, and it, it should shorten it up. And the people have to evolve. We can ask the system, and we have been asking the system, but it's the people. And I just, you know, love looking at another black woman who was wrong, and to look mm-hmm. her in the eyes and to be like, you know what, I see you. Like we talked about today, you know, like I see another woman seeing you. So I just think that's uh remember that. And also, there's hope for us unmarried women, because, you know, Mark is a great example that we can one day. One day. Yeah. That's it. Well, thank you so much to the Vermont Racial Justice yeah. Alliance. Okay. Definitely visit their Facebook page, Vermont Racial Justice Alliance. There's all kinds of information. Email address, Mark. Also, make sure you check out AbolishSlaveryVT.org. That's our official uh, campaign site, AbolishSlaveryVT.org. Uh, we, I mean, we're, we're handing out. We're even doing, like, lawn signs for PR2, mm-hmm. T-shirts and bumpers yeah, and all that other today. stuff. So, again, AbolishSlaveryVT.org. And if you want to go over to our site, of course, uh, vtracialjusticealliance.org. That's vtracialjusticealliance.org. Uh, thank you all. And hit the book donate button. Oh, hit the donate button, yeah. Yeah, hit the donate button. I, I was just going to say that. <laughs> and Mac, I missed you, brother. I really missed you today, Mac. Yeah. It, it took an act of God to keep me from there. You know what I mean? That's what it I was so excited. Nope. <laughs> I didn't know you we will come, I believe, in August. Mark said there's an event, yeah. so we're going to reschedule oh, and come back in African August. First African Landing Day. First yes. African Landing Day. I'll tell you more so, about so that. Let's, let's reschedule for August, and Tribal and I will come out there and be with you guys in August. So thank oh, you. Yeah, it's, it, we will have a focus on a major focus on uh, on Prop Two as as well as um, gospel music. And Beyonce was would have released her album already, so it was gonna be a holy a holy time in life. <laughs> if you're tuned in right now to Abolition Today, I want you to uh call in. If you're listening online, call in at five one five six oh five nine eight one four. I say that because we're gonna go a few minutes over time and you do not wanna miss this last segment of bridging the gap. So call in at five one five six oh five nine eight one four where you can hear it via your phone. It will be in the replay later when we drop it out. But I'm going to give us some overtime because I got it like that. I can give us some overtime. (laughs) I want to say thank you to our guests who uh, participated today in our live from Vermont broadcast of Abolition Today on Day and Juneteenth. (laughs) Yes, sir. We did the damn thing. Yeah, Um, yeah. 
make sure you follow the reports we talked about, the ACLU report, the NAACP Legal Defense Fund report, and also the uh, reparations uh, task force from California who are also supporting slavery abolition. Follow all those reports so you can get updated. I want to say a special thank you to SEMA uh, Urge and the Southern Appalachian Yearly Meeting and Association of Friends. I was their plenary speaker just a couple of days ago. And everyone who was there was there, was very much moved. And uh, you can count on seeing the Quakers mobilizing as slavery abolitionists in the coming days, weeks, and months to help us get these bills passed. So the old allies are coming back together again to finish this work that was yet to be done. It is amazing. So shout out to them. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of that. Uh, With that being said, uh, one more shout out is to my sons. Uh, Happy Father's Day to all of you. I love you very much. Yusuf, talk to you soon, brother. Peace, everybody. It's on you now, brother. Yes, brother Mac. So we just want to thank our sponsors and partners, Jailhouse Lawyers Speak, the I Am We Ubuntu Prison Advocacy Network, SEMA Urge, the Quakers Uplifting Racial Justice, the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center, the where Max is uh, live this evening, Prismatic Dreams, the Abolished Slavery National Network, and the Black Talk Radio Network. Remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash abolition today. You'll find all the news, information, and music you hear on the program, and that's also going to be on our Facebook page at Abolition Today. We're available on all major podcast platforms, and we want to say remember to join the movement at AbolishSlavery.us. I made sure everybody in the park did that today. Yeah. Made them pull out their phones. That's right. Uh, you can text end the exception. No spaces. It's all one word. Text that to 52886. Follow the prompt so you can send a petition on your behalf to your congressional rep in support of the proposed 28th Amendment to repeal and replace the exception clause to the 13th Amendment. Thank you to all of our guests. Thank you. Thank you, everybody that was out in the park today. So many people came up to the table that they didn't know that slavery still existed. They didn't know it was in the Vermont Constitution. A lot of learning was done today. A lot of people signed up to support Prop 2. They made the pledge to vote in support of it, and they're going to volunteer their time to to, uh, abolish slavery Vermont. So just we had a great time out in the park. I think a lot of people are sun weary right now. It was, you know, a very nice day out there, and I'm seeing droopy eyes around the table right now. But we have our last segment, and our last segment is always really good because we call this bridging the gap. This is the time when we take the voices of the ancestors, and many times the things that you're going to hear, this is going to be the first time it's being heard since it was actually spoken. Where, wherever they were in the 1700s, 1800s. So tonight we have Frederick Douglass, and it's going to be narrated by Ozzie Davis, and it's called The Liberation of the Liberator. And that's going to be 
accompanied by Bethany Music and Casey Paulin, lead vocal. So we'll be back next Sunday, June 26th, God willing, with another master class on slavery abolition. So until next week, think about abolition today. Peace and blessings be upon you all. Peace. Abolition. Abolition. I had been living four or five months in New Bedford when there came a young man to me with a copy of The Liberator, the paper edited by William Lloyd Garrison, and asked me to subscribe to it. I told him I had just escaped from slavery and, and was, of course, very poor and had no money then to pay for it. He was very willing to take me as a subscriber notwithstanding, and I read the paper from week to week. It soon took a place in my heart, second only to the Bible. It detested slavery and made no truce with traffickers in the bodies and souls of men. It preached human brotherhood. It denounced oppression. And with all the solemnity of thus saith the Lord, demanded the complete emancipation of my race. The paper became my meat and my drink. My soul was set on fire. Its sympathy for my brethren in bonds, its scathing denunciations of slaveholders, and its powerful attacks upon the upholders of the institution sent a thrill of joy through my soul, such as I had never felt before. All the anti-slavery meetings held in New Bedford I promptly attended, my heart bounding at every true utterance against the slave system and every rebuke of its friends and supporters. In the summer of 1841, a grand anti-slavery convention was held in Nantucket under the auspices of Mr. Garrison and his friends. I determined on attending the meeting, though I had no thought of taking any part in any of its proceedings. But once there, I felt strongly moved to speak. And though I trembled in every limb, I spoke a few moments, describing my life as a slave. At the close of this great meeting, I was approached by Mr. John A. Collins, then the general agent of the Massachusetts Anti-Slavery Society, and urged to become an agent of that society and publicly advocate its principles. I was reluctant to accept the position. I had not been quite three years from slavery and was honestly distrustful of my ability. Besides, publicity might discover me to my master. But Mr. Collins was not to be refused, and I finally consented to go out for three months. I traveled in the company of white abolitionists and lectured to large meetings. Many came, uh, no doubt from curiosity, to hear what a Negro could say in his own cause. I was generally introduced as a chattel, a thing, a piece of southern property, the chairman assuring the audience that it could speak. As a fugitive slave lecturer, I faced many hostilities. My treatment in the use of public conveyances was extremely rough. On the railroads, there was a mean, dirty, and uncomfortable car set apart for Negro travelers called the Jim Crow car. Regarding this as the fruit of slaveholding prejudice and being determined to fight the spirit of slavery wherever I might find it, I resolved to avoid this car, though it sometimes required some courage to do so. I sometimes was soundly beaten by conductors and brakemen. At several of our meetings, my fellow abolitionists and I were mobbed, and several of us had our good clothes spoiled by evil-smelling eggs. On one occasion... We had barely begun to speak when a mob of about 60 of the roughest characters I had ever looked upon ordered us through its leader to be silent, threatening us if we were not with violence. We attempted to dissuade them, but...
But they had not come to parley, but to fight, and were well armed. They tore down the platform on which we stood and assaulted us. Undertaking to fight my way through the crowd with a stick which I caught up in the melee, I attracted the fury of the mob, which laid me prostrate on the ground under a torrent of blows, leaving me thus with my right hand broken and in a state of unconsciousness, the mobocrats hastily mounted their horses and rode off. I was soon raised up and nursed and bandaged. But as the bones broken were not properly set, my hand has never recovered its natural strength and dexterity. During the first three or four months of my work as an anti-slavery agent, my speeches were almost exclusively made up of narrations of my own personal experience as a slave. Let us have the facts, said the people. But I was now reading and thinking. New views of the subject were being presented to my mind. It did not entirely satisfy me to narrate wrongs. I felt like denouncing them. I could not always curb my moral indignation for the perpetrators of slave-holding villainy long enough for a circumstantial statement of the facts, which I felt almost sure everybody know. People won't believe you ever were a slave, Frederick, if you keep on this way, my friends told me. It is not best that you seem too learned. These friends were not altogether wrong in their advice. And still I must speak just the word that seemed to me to be the word to be spoken by me. At last, the apprehended trouble came. People doubted if I had ever been a slave. They said I did not talk like a slave, look like a slave, or act like a slave, and that they believed I had never been south of Mason and Dixon's line. I decided to write out the leading facts connected with my experience in slavery, giving names of persons, places, and dates, thus putting it in the power of any who doubted to ascertain the truth or falsehood of my story. This book, entitled Narrative of the Life of Frederick Douglass, an American Slave, was published in Boston in 1845. William Lloyd Garrison wrote the preface to my book. I want to hear you Louder than the noise I want to feel you Closer
I am a slavery abolitionist. Some of you may know me. I'm doing this recording because I would like to ask if any of you can help with some financial assistance. Max and Yusuf do not like to ask for money, so I would like to ask on their behalf because they and other abolitionists pull money out of their own pockets, and this is so important. So if you can help, you can find the information at the top of the Facebook page for Abolition Today. Thank you. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. DW Group, no purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.